That very singular teacher, old Mr. Heidegger, once invited four venerable teachers to meet him in his classroom. There were three white-bearded gentlemen, Mr. Medborn, Colonel Killigrew, and Mr. Gascoigne, and a withered gentlewoman whose name was Mrs. Witcherly. They were all melancholy old teachers who had been unfortunate in their career and whose greatest misfortune it was that they hadn't written a lesson plan in 12 years. It is a circumstance worth mentioning that each of these three old gentlemen, Mr. Medborn, Colonel Killigrew, and Mr. Gascoigne, were early lover of the Mrs. Witcherly's ditto machine and had once been on the point of cutting each other's throats to make copies of vocabulary worksheets. Hey, this is Trent Lorcher, and welcome to the Teaching ELA podcast, where I help ELA teachers thrive in and out of the classroom. In this podcast, I discuss real teaching for real classrooms, whether it's a specific piece of literature, teaching strategy, or life strategy. I talk about things ELA teachers need. I promise that with each podcast episode, you'll have something you can use today. All right, today we're going to talk about one of my favorites, Dr. Heidegger's experiment, because nothing screams Thanksgiving like a mad scientist. Now, I just taught this last week, and I forgot just how good it was. That's right, I'm talking about Dr. Heidegger's experiment by Nathaniel Hawthorne. All right, let's get this uh, podcast episode off to a great start with a two-minute lesson plan. Class is about to start and you need something right now. So here's the one thing you can put on the board right now. So when the students come in, you'll be ready to roll. As you've probably figured out by now, if you're fans of the show, and I'm sure you are, it's going to be a three-column chart. Put this on the board. The objective is I can cite textual evidence to support character analysis. On your chart, label the uh, left column, write the names of the four main characters. That's Widow Witcherly, Colonel Killigrew, Mr. Gascoigne, and Mr. Bedroom. So it's a three-column chart with four characters, so I'd be five rows. And the, uh, list the four characters in the left-hand column. Again, that's Witcherly, Killigrew, Gascoigne, and Medburn. Label the middle column, Character Flaw. So just right at the top of that middle column, Character Flaw, because each of these four, well, Each of these four characters have a major character flaw. And then label the right column, behavior after drinking the elixir. So this is kind of a before and after. So uh, we're in the middle column, we're putting their character flaw that made their life so miserable. And in the right column, how they behaved after drinking the elixir. If you read this story before, you know what's coming up. But if you haven't read it, you'll figure it out. You're smart. All right. Early in the story, Dr. Heidegger describes the narrator. Excuse me. uh, The narrator describes the moral shortcomings of the four subjects of Dr. Heidegger's experiment. So again, early in the story, the narrator describes the moral shortcomings of Witcherly, Killigrew, Gascoigne, and Medburn. As you read, or after you read this section, it's a it's pretty obvious what it is, it's a pretty long paragraph, but after you read this paragraph, instruct students to fill out the middle column with a description of each, or of course you could fill it out together with them, just a description of their main character flaw which led to their downfall. And again, and then after you finish the story, instruct students to list specific examples of the characters' behaviors after they promise to have learned from their mistakes and after they drunk the elixir. Points out the truth of the experiment that it's not really a scientific experiment after all. It is a social behavioral experience. 
In case you've never read the story or need a recap, here's a summary. Dr. Heidegger is a bit of an odd duck. Think of your middle school science teacher who'd like to mix things and start the occasional fire, causing the alarm to go off and necessitating the evacuation of the entire school. That's old Heidegger, except he doesn't teach in a middle school, as far as I know. Maybe he did. Hmm, interesting. Heidegger invites four old acquaintances, emphasis on old, over for an experiment. All four of these friends, and I have friends in quotation marks, I'm not sure how close these people were. All four of these friends have made a mess of their lives and squandered whatever gifts they'd been given. Four are now old and miserable, without hope, well, without hope until Heidegger presents them with an opportunity to drink an elixir, which will make them youthful once again. The experiment comes, however, with a warning. Don't make the same stupid mistakes. Four guests skeptically drink the potion, vowing not to partake in past foolishness. The effects of the liquid are almost immediate, but not quick enough for the four who gulp down another glass immediately. Although it's ambiguous whether or not the four actually become younger, they certainly believe they are, and with their newfound youth, they demonstrate no signs that they learn from past mistakes. They even ridicule the doctor on account of his old age. After a great deal of tomfoolery, which leads to spilling the rest of the water, the four, uh, the rest of the potion, the four return to their elderly state, having learned nothing from the experiment, and resolve to journey to Florida and find the actual fountain. Okay, let's do a quick analysis of this story. The first thing is reality versus appearance. This story is full of ambiguity, and this this lesson is kind of the one thing uh, we're going to want to talk about. During the one thing, for if there's one thing you teach from the story, it should be this reality versus appearance. And we'll go into that in a second, a more detailed uh, lesson plan. But the primary ambiguity of the story is whether or not the elixir is even real. Other ambiguities include Heidegger himself. Is he a good doctor? Is he a bad doctor? I mean, he, he killed his fiance by mistake, or so he says. He's got a literal skeleton in his closet, by the way. Oh, by the way, is that folio really a book of magic? Theme, themes worth discussing in pretty much any short story, but it's worth discussing within the context of the aforementioned reality versus appearance. The evasiveness of truth, the transience of youth, and human inability to learn from mistakes. A theme chart works here. You know, do the old write the theme in one column, write evidence in the middle column, write the explanation in the third column. I've got a link to Dr. Heidegger's uh, lesson plans down at the bottom there, so it's all good. Symbolism. In addition to the elixir, the rose, the book of magic, the skeleton, and the time of day all add meaning to the story. Characterization. We already talked about this. We know Heidegger is an odd fellow, but it's uncertain if he's simply odd or evil odd. He, he has, after all, had quite a few dead patients, including his fiance. And again, he does have a literal skeleton in the closet. I'm pretty sure it's symbolic. Setting an atmosphere, the details of Dr. Heidegger's study add an element of mystery in the supernatural of the story. Hawthorne wrote during a period of American literature, as you may know, uh, the American Romantic period. And one of the tenets of this literary movement was the supernatural and fascination with death and the supernatural. There's a long description of Dr. Heidegger's study at the beginning of the story, which certainly sets an atmosphere, sets a mood of a supernatural mood, a dark mood, a uh, mysterious mood, which is something Hawthorne, Poe, Melville, and the crew were good at. Uh, irony. The ultimate irony is the nature of the experiment itself. We already addressed this. Heidegger has little interest in whether or not his water has magical properties. He never tells them. We don't know. There's so many ambiguities in the story. We don't really know. He doesn't care. He just wants to find out about human nature. 
the four guests ironically repeat the same mistakes as they did in their youth. And the ultimate irony is there's a fairly good chance the water isn't even a magic potion at all. That's somewhat ironic. The title of the story is ironic. Dr. Heidegger's experiment, he's a scientist. We're thinking it's a scientific experiment. I'm pretty sure it's not a scientific experiment. So either even if the elixir is real and it does work, then he already knows it's real. He doesn't need to experiment on anything. This is a social experiment. Do these people look? Uh, do these people change? Do people change? And uh, let's get back to the narrator and talk about point of view. The reader learns everything about Heidegger in his laboratory from an unreliable narrator who it seems is not in the laboratory during the experiment and who admits that many of the stories surrounding Heidegger are of a dubious nature. Furthermore, the dubiousness of the stories can be partially credited to himself. So I wonder how the story would be different if written with a first-person account. Perhaps a creative writing assignment is in order there. And number eight, number eight. I haven't even listed one number yet, but I thought I'd throw out number eight right now. Letter C is, there's a great movie. Well, great might be too strong of an adjective for the Dr. Heidegger's Experiment movie. But if you go on YouTube and type in Dr. Heidegger video or Dr. Heidegger movie, a little 21-minute video will show up. It's somewhat old, somewhat old, but I'm going to be honest. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's 21 minutes long. I talked about, I mean, that's a future podcast I talk about this. I don't remember. It is. It's, it's the week after his podcast. I have a nice movie lesson plan. But uh, real quick, well, you, you have to wait till next week. Sorry. <laughs> I already gave you my two-minute lesson plan. What more do you want from me? Doing my best, people. Doing my best. All right, that sound can only mean one thing. It means it's time for the one thing. That's right. If there's one thing you teach from this story, it's going to be this right here. All right, the one thing. If there's one thing you teach in this story, it's the appearance versus reality. And we can accomplish this with the, is the elixir real chart? I happen to have evidence. That shows both the elixir is real and not real. And I even have a evidence that shows the elixir that it doesn't matter whether it's real. Let's talk about that real quick. Get it real quick. <laughs> All right, option one here. The elixir is real. Well, I'll just give some evidence here. The 55-year-old decaying rose bloomed to life again. That seems to be pretty good evidence. Now, of course, if you're in the elixir is fake category, you might want to mention that the participants had witnessed Stranger Things at a Conjurer show. That would also go for option number one, the elixir. Oh, it's also counteract the second point that a dead butterfly was brought back to life. Again, this could be simply Dr. Heidegger playing amateur magician. Back to the elixir is real. The people that were a part of the experiment said that they looked younger. Now, again, if you think the elixir is fake, you might want to point out that the mirror reflected old people when Heidegger looked at it. In other words, the people thought they were young, but the mirror showed them to look old. However, as piece of evidence number four that the elixir is real, the mirror reflected the woman's young appearance when she looked in it, that's interesting, don't you think? So when Widow Witcherly looked in the mirror, she saw a young face. But when Dr. Heidegger looked in the mirror, he still saw the old people being reflected. Is it real or is it fake? One more thing to mention, the, the text says that the elixir had intoxicating effects, implying that the elixir was actually alcohol. Now you could counter that by thinking, doesn't youth have intoxicating effects? 
it's been a long time since I've been what you would consider young. I'm in my 50s now, as handsome as ever. Youthful appearance for sure, but I don't feel youthful all the time. <sighs> get me, get off my yard, kids. And then there's option number three that the elixir is irrelevant. The text mainly focuses on how the four acted after their supposed changes rather than the changes itself. Two, Heidegger was a background character, not showing much emotion to them changing, only showing emotion to the rose. And three, textually thinking the elixir had only truly been a part of the story for short amounts of times. It was not stated as being there for a fair amount of the story. So again, it's kind of into the background. And we discussed how, again, this is a social experiment more than a scientific experiment. So perhaps whether or not the elixir is real is irrelevant to the ultimate goal of the story, which is do people really change? All right, let's get some takeaways in. Takeaway number one, Dr. Heidegger's experiment isn't exactly what it appears to be. The participants believe it's a scientific experiment, but it's actually an experiment on human behavior. I think I've said that one or seven times. Takeaway number two, there's a ton of symbolism in here that adds depth to the story. And number three, use the cringy movie. It's on YouTube to enhance instruction. Now, this might seem like a strange story to be teaching over the holidays or near the holidays, and maybe it is, but I taught it last week, which technically wasn't the holidays. I taught it last week, which would be Veterans Day week. I'm not sure it has anything to do with Veterans Day. And I was pleasantly surprised that the class actually liked it and they and they enjoyed the YouTube short video that we did. And I had them, uh, we discussed that as well. As far as grade level goes, I would definitely go with uh, high school on this one. But again, you might have some smart middle schoolers. I taught it to 11th graders as part of the American literature curriculum. It might make more sense to teach us in October, but that's when we're teaching Poe, right? I want you all to know that I'm thankful that you listened. Thanksgiving coming up. And that I am thankful to be an ELA teacher. Thanks for listening to the Teaching ELA Podcast. For more teacher-ready, student-ready lesson plans, head on over to ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com. That's ELACommonCoreLessonPlans.com, where we have hundreds of lesson plans and handouts that are ready to use right now. And as always, if this podcast has helped you thrive in the classroom, we'd appreciate a like and a review. 